I, I'm going to preach this, this evening and relatively quickly because we have, the lady who books this place has double booked us and there is a, a lady outside waiting to get in to set up but she, we're going to accommodate each other, we're going to help her when we're done. Because I was thinking this morning while I was praying that I just felt this need to preach this regardless of, and, and I as saying to God, you know, this is such a, a, a challenging time for us as the church. And I, I've been talking to a lot of church leaders right now who lead big churches and small churches. And they're all echoing a similar thing that we are in a, in a time right now, almost like a, a precipice, which is interesting for me because I, I feel like the, the prophetic is always there's something coming. And almost to the point that it frustrates me that we're, it's always just a carrot stick. But the difference in, in this is that the prophetic I'm hearing at the moment from, from guys who are, are, are wrestled, they're beat. The prophetic is not showing that something's coming. It's that we don't know where else to go from here. And I was chatting to a good friend of mine who is a, an incredible prophet. And he said, I, I don't have any encouraging words for you. I'm tired. I'm beat. I've got nowhere to go. And he said, but God told me that this is the place where he will move to hang on. And I, I was thinking... This morning, I, that because Coco was as, was feeling some stuff for worship, and it's phenomenal, Coco, that you can do that, that you can lead us like that into the place with such simplicity. And that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, is is exactly where we need to be. We we need to let go of all the noise and be able to see His face like a bride sees who they're walking towards. We need to be able to to have that, that tunnel vision where we look down the aisle and that's all we see, where we just see Him. The, the purity of our heart is, God, I don't care what else it looks like. I just want to see you. I don't care what else happens. I don't, I don't care for the fanciness or the, the, the time it's going to take me. I just want to see you. I just want who you are in me and I want to flow in that. And I, I preached two weeks ago about... Uh, from 2 Corinthians 13, where, where Paul asks us to, to examine ourselves. And there was a bit of concern through conversations that I was having that there's, an, there's a chance for this to be con, con, condemning, if I can English. There's a chance for this to, to be condemning for us. That if we look at ourselves too long, we won't see who God is. And I understand that that, that is a place. But I, I want to I break it down a little bit this evening and just explain something that I heard during the week, which, which was incredibly challenging to me. But that, that verse comes from Romans 8.1, where it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no more con- condemnation when we are in Christ. But that word condemnation is the word katrinko, and it means to judge against. Right? It's a sentence that we give. But that sentence has already been given by Christ on the cross. There is no more judging of who we are. But it's not to judge ourselves when we examine ourselves to be in the faith. Right? Condemnation means to, to, in the English dictionary, means to declare to be reprehensible, wrong or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation. But what Paul is asking us to do is to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. I'm going to use a golf analogy because it just makes so much sense. If I play the game, I could use a gym analogy, but golf just sounds more fun. If I play the game and I start as a beginner, which in golf you tend to always be a beginner, but if I play the game and I I continually do the things as I know how to do them, 
my game will never change. I will stay in the same place all the time. But if I actually take a moment and assess what am I doing that's not helping my game? What am I doing that's not aiding me to play better? I'm not condemning myself. I'm positioning myself to actually become better at the game, right? I'm actually looking at my life and going, am I swinging the club right? Am I moving my body right? Am I doing things not because then my friends will like me better, but because I play the game better? And what Paul is saying is that as Christians, we can lose our our position in the faith. Does that make us less saved? No. Does that take us further away from God? No. He doesn't say either of those things. But he says you are now not living in the fullness of the risen Christ in you. You're living in a subcategory, a subculture. You're living in a place that is not allowing you the fullness of what you could have. And what we have to do as we walk through this Christian life is begin to ask ourselves, God, am I living in your full plan for me? In every area, all the time. When we start to renew ourselves, we're saying, God, you live in me. That's what he says in the verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 3. He says, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? The risen Christ, the hope of all glory is inside of me. And it's a, it's a realization to be not, oh, I hope God loves me more. I better make sure I'm doing better things. He's saying, no, if you're living in lack, it's because you're not living from the risen Christ who's in you. So as I start to examine my life, as I start to look forward, I start to test myself to ensure, God, am I living where you are coming through me and flowing out of me? That's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. That's not condemning to me. That's encouraging me to be able to live out of more of who he is and less of who I am. In Luke chapter 8, 4 verse 8, Jesus gives a parable. He gives a parable of soil. He says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and were trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it has no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, Who has an ear to hear? Let him hear. And then the next verse, he goes on to explain what it is. So if you've got an ear, you can hear it. Nah, I'll tell you what it is. Righto. He tells it afterwards. But what he's saying in this is that if the heart, soil of our heart is not bright, then things will not grow and you will not yield a harvest. Now, when I read that, the first thing that comes into my mind is, what soil is my heart made out of? In that area, what soil is my heart made out of? Because I want soft soil. I want good flowing soil. But in order to know that, I have to address my life. I have to start to see what is growing from my life. Because if I don't do that, I can continue on in a stagnated position and seeing no fruit ever and then getting to the end and go, well, God, you, you, didn't, you didn't tell me I was doing wrong. No, because you didn't assess yourself in the faith to see if the risen Christ was in you and flowing out of you and revealing who he was and is in you. God is asking us to assess ourselves and to see if the soil of our heart will bear the fruit that he has for us. At the moment with the, um, with the staff guys, we're reading a book called Reappearing Church in, by Mark Sayers. And he has this quote, which I think is phenomenal. He says, only Christ can change us, 
but we must take the responsibility for choosing to be changed. Only Christ can change us, but we must take the responsibility for us to be changed. David in the Psalms, he says, Father, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. Find what is not of you and remove it. He's putting his hand up to say, Lord, I accept. I'm not the best you in me. I accept. Help me. He's not saying, I want to strive to do better. So I'll do it all and you just wait there. He's saying, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you. It's the, it's the risen Christ in you that brings you into transformation. But you have to put your hand up and say, Lord, I'm willing. See, God is a gentleman in the sense that he will not force you into a position that you don't want to go. If you're in mess, he will pull you out of the mess only if you ask him, Lord, please pull me out of my mess. And we go, well, why isn't God with me? No, he is with you, but you won't engage him. You won't ask him. And he will not force himself upon you. I find it really interesting all the time when people say, you know, I just, I, I want to see more of God. I want to engage more of God. How, what do I do? And when you start to say, well, tell me, tell me about your life. Well, why, what do I have to do more? That's works. Don't condemn me in myself. No, you're asking to position yourself in a place to see more of God. He is in this place. You need to step into that. To raise your hand, Lord, I need you in your strength to pull me out of where I am. If you sit back on your hands and say, well, God, I came, I did my bargain, I came. I got here. I prayed this morning for five minutes. I did my part. I read my Bible this week. I did my part. Then we are going to perpetually stay in the mess that we are in. Again and again and cycle around and around and around. Failing to realize the risen Christ, the hope of all glory is in me already. So it's not, Lord, please come in me. It's, Lord, where am I not drawing on who you are in my life? Where am I not engaging in who you are? Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, 27, he asks the people to pick up their cross, to follow them daily. He actually, it's actually more brutal than that. I'll read it. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily. The cross is a picture of the sacrifice Jesus makes. Right? When we see the cross hanging around somebody's neck, the reason people wear it is that it's supposed to be a reminder for what Christ did for us. The cross is a symbol of sacrifice, of laying your, your life down. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, do we all have to go and die on a cross? No. He's asking us to pick up the, the path of our life that is in sacrifice. He's saying, follow me into the things I have outlaid for you. But he also says, I'm not leaving you without me because I am in you. That's why Paul says he is in us, that Christ is in us and dwells in us. The task he's asking us to achieve is not unattainable because he does it with us. 
Paul writes also in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Christ asks of us to do a massive task, which is to pick up our cross. But he says, I will do it with you. I have given you all of, all of heaven is inside of you as a risen hope and glory. I am going to give you everything that you need to do it, but you have to put your hand up. Does that make sense? Does that challenge anybody? It challenges me. Because when I start to assess my life, I start to look and go, Lord, am I really drawing on you who's in me? Am I really at comfort knowing that you are the great king? Do I really accept that you are my provider? Do I really accept that you are my comfort? Do I really accept that you are all of the things that I've read and known for so long and preached for so long? Is it real or is it just something that I've hoped for? Rick Joyner and the the guy from Upper Room quotes this book and he reads this line from Rick Joyner. And it's, uh, the book's called The Apostolic Ministry. But the opening line of the book says this, There is more power in a single Christian than in all of the armies on the face of the earth. This truth will become known throughout the earth before the end of this age. God God dwells in his people, and when his people come to know this as living truth rather than doctrine, the world will then know this truth also. There is more power in a single Christian than in all of the armies of the face of the earth. Now, if I take that and and address myself, I say this to myself. Ben, do you carry more power than all the armies in the face of the earth? Yes. Why? Because you've given your life to Christ. You died with him. You rose again in him. You are in him and he is in you. So I understand that in here. But am I operating from more power than all the armies on the earth? My answer has to be no. It has to be no. Because I look over my weeks. Now someone's can, can take this position and say, but you're condemning yourself. No, I'm understanding that I'm not living to the fullness of my potential, which excites me. Because I've realized, man, I, there's more in me to achieve more around me. That I can understand I'm not living in the fullness that God has for me. Why not? Why? What can I draw on to say the risen Christ, the hope of all glory... The beginning, of, of the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega dwells in me and I have the ability to draw on who he is at all times. So why aren't I? Now, you can all ask yourself the same question and wrestle with the challenging response that you have. But I, wanna, I just want to put this to you. Don't see that as something condemning, but rather see it as a position to pull you into more. See it as a place of, oh, God doesn't love you. No, God loves you unconditionally. Whether you understand this or not, He loves you. You are saved. You are hidden in Him. You are made whole. You are justified by Him. Made righteous. All of those things. All of those things are true, whether you understand and grasp this concept or not. You're not trying to grasp the concept in order for Him to love you. He already loves you. But in order to be a co-worker and a powerful co-worker at that, we have to grasp this and understand. There is enough of us in this room, albeit small, there is enough of us in this room to make a massive challenge to the Gold Coast, to change the city. To change the city, there's enough of us here. But there's something that we have to understand first, and that's who God is in us. 
See, the enemy has done a phenomenal job at ensuring that we still don't know who we are in order to keep us powerless to, to engage in those around us. That's the, that's the two brothers, right? That's the, the younger brother in the, in the prodigal son and the older brother, both just as lost as each other. Why? Because they were orphans in the father's house. Both of them didn't know who they were. Both of them didn't realize that the father's wealth, who the father was, was in both of them. They both had obtained it. They both had been given everything. And they both squandered it. One leaves and one stays. When we really understand that there is more power in us than all of the armies on the face of the earth, when we really understand that the risen Christ dwells in us, we become a force to be reckoned with in our personal lives and in our corporate life. We become, we become life-changing to our workplaces, to our sporting teams, to our city, to our nation, to the nations. Think about... Think about in, in church history, let alone in actual history, how many things one particular person has done. That one person could be known for, for changing entire spheres. I mean, look through your church history. There's so many. One person went and achieved tons. Imagine if, if the 20 of us could do that. Imagine if the 20 of us truly grasped, not in doctrine, but truly grasped that our eyes set down the aisle onto the groom in whom we walk towards, where nothing else matters. Nothing else comes into play because our eyes are fixed. What we can begin to do From that same book, Emerging Church, Mark Sayers says this. He says, We are yet to see humans fully transformed by God, and we won't until heaven. Therefore, we are limited by a lack of imagination of what we can be in Christ. And we make this lack of imagination authoritative. We lack imagination of what we can be in Christ, and we make that lack of imagination authoritative. Jess and I, in the last two months have been blessed I, I think more than we ever have financially with things we've been given with things people have done and said for us and we are so grateful for it but it's really interesting when I talk to my family and I tell them some of the stuff that's happened the response is almost the same they say this that doesn't happen you don't just get that right to which I respond I don't understand it it just happened, right? Now, their response is, what you're seeing, and I'll use this one, we were given, I was given a ride on lawnmower, a fairly brand new ride on lawnmower. Now, when I told my family that when we were chatting, they all thought broken down, barely starts ride on lawnmower. What we got given was almost a brand new ride on lawnmower. When my brother saw it, he goes, is that the ride on lawnmower? And I was like, yeah, that's what I got given. He goes, no, that's brand new. And I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was what I got given. He goes, that doesn't happen. And I said, I understand what you're saying, but it happened because it's, there's, I'll turn it on for you if you want. I'll start it. But what he's saying is that that's not the realm or the grid by which I live. That doesn't happen. And in the realm of the world, it doesn't. Very rarely does that happen. I mean, all of us would have seen a time where God's asked you to do something, pay for someone's groceries, or the shock and awe on their faith is that this doesn't happen. 
And you know what? They're right. It doesn't happen in the realm they live by, which is the realm of the world. When we come with the, with the spirit of the kingdom, when we come, we move in how God has asked us to move. It's counterculture to the things of the world. It doesn't look the same. But we have to understand just what Christ has said we can do. When we limit that understanding, we give it authority and power to stay powerless. When we say that doesn't fit in the confines of the world, Lord, I can't do it. We give authority to the power of the world and not to who the risen Christ is in us. I think it's a Proverbs. It says, I've put before you blessings and curses. Choose blessings, right? That's not, that's not just blessings to receive. That's not just I can receive the blessings. That's there's two worlds to live in. There's a world of blessing and a world of curses. Choose which one you want to live in. But it's both ways. It's received and given. So when we get to decide what world do I want to live in, I want to live in a world that breeds blessing, not a world that breeds curses. But I get to make that choice. And the way I speak with people and the way I engage with people, I get to decide who's coming out of me. The risen Christ, the hope and glory of the world, or the curses of the world and the system by which everyone else is living. I make that choice. And I allow God. And the more I choose the curses, the more I choose to live by the power of the world, the more I, I get lost and the more authority I give to it. And the deeper and deeper and deeper I go into a hole that I circle around and around and around and around. When we actually break out of that and say, God, I need you to explain to me in the fullness of my heart who you are and what's living in me. Highlight the areas of my life where I'm living in the world of curses and allow me to come into the kingdom realm of blessings. Let me be in that place. All of a sudden, things change. When we dwell in the disempowerment of not living in the kingdom of God, we stay in that place. We continue to cycle. We continue to move in that. One more quote from the book. Because it's just, uh, it, the, it's challenged me. It's the second time I've read it, and it's a phenomenal book. It's called Emerging Church, Reemerging Church, Reappearing Church. I should get the name right one of these days. Do you know what? Yeah, and I've, re- I've quoted it directly, reading it from the book, and I've written in different names each time in the book. I'm still excited. I'm still excited. He says this, Renewal will go to war with our flesh, increasing his presence in our lives. Renewal will go to war with our flesh. When we have lived in an area of our life that's been in the flesh the whole time, when we try to break out of that, guess what happens? War breaks out. There is an internal wrestle inside of us. Why? Because we have seen something to be one way for so long that when we try to go back to how God said it was, there is a breakdown in that difference between. It's almost as if when you, when you, if you fast, the first three days of a fast, the second day for me in particular is absolute awful. Awful. Because your body predominantly from caffeine, is trying to stop the way you've left. It wants the caffeine. The withdrawals in your body are saying, give me more of that. But on day three, especially the back end of day three, you feel like a superstar. You feel like you've just had the best meal in your life and you could, you could change the world because all of a sudden your body has realigned and reshaped itself. 
That happens in every single area of our life. If you, if you decide, I want to change my language, I want to stop swearing, you bet your bottom dollar in the next three or four days you're going to encounter the opportunity to swear more than you ever have in your entire life. Why? Because there's a war of cultures happening in your world. Does that mean, oh, well, I shouldn't do it because I'm afraid of being beat? No, because we have the risen Christ in us. The hope of all glory. Jesus, the right hand of the Father, who gives us access to the Father, is in us. So when we go to throw down and go into the war to say, I'm changing my culture. I'm changing my culture. But there's going to be a war. Yeah, but the, the Prince of Peace is on my side. I'm drawing from the, the greatest opportunity, the greatest position of victory that, that has ever existed is where I'm drawing from. We become, we become the temple. And I was going to go into this, but I won't. I'll, I'll leave it for whenever I preach next. But we become the temple of God. That becomes what is in us, what's drawn from. But what happens is we have allowed idols to come into the, ten the temple. We have allowed things to be placed inside of us that is not of God. So when, when, when Paul says, test yourself, he's saying, search the halls of the temple for the idols that shouldn't be there. It's not a condemning thing. It's not, well, well this is how God made me. This is what he said I could be. But he didn't. How do I know? Well, how do you know that? Because your life is in ruins. That thing that you think is yours is killing you. That thing that you think I need to have, it's, it's, it's what makes me me, is drowning you. When we test ourselves, when we go through our life and say, okay, Lord, I'm bringing it all before you. I'm in the temple court. Inside me, where you dwell, I'm bringing it all before you. Is this of yours? Yes, okay. Is this of yours? No, it's hurting us. Cool, let's get rid of it. I'm not saying this is a tomorrow, you go for it and then it's all done, you're sorted by Tuesday. This is a life journey that we have to do, but if we can't even bring ourselves to ask God what should be in us and what shouldn't, then we, continue, we stop before we even start. Paul is asking us to test ourselves, to find out whether we're in the faith, not because of our salvation, but because of our usefulness in the kingdom to see the world know him. He's not asking, are you a good boy or a bad boy? He's saying, hey, we need soldiers on the front line. We need, we, we need, we need kingdom fighters out here. And we're missing some of you. We're missing some of the key players, we're missing some of our front swordsmen, we're missing some of our amazing, incredible people that God has put things in you. We're missing you because you're, you are squandering and, and, and circling around something that you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten the risen Christ in you. You've forgotten the well by which you draw the water from your life. There's enough of us in here to change ourselves and to change our immediate spheres if we don't want to get too heavy but there's enough of us in here to change the Gold Coast there's probably enough of us in here to change Australia but we have to test ourselves we have to decide God you love me I'm going to heaven I'm locked away I'm hidden in you but I want more than that I want to live out of you I want to see your kingdom water flow from me. I want to see 
world, the world around me be changed by your great glory. I want to see your heart touch people through the way that I speak, through the way that I move for my glory. No, for your glory, that your name would be known. Does that make sense? Can we stand for a moment? Are you right, mate? <laughs> um, yeah, can you put a pad on for me, please? No, you can't. Can you put a pad on, please? I want to well, pray, but I want to give us a, a minute or two. If you need to step away from someone being able to hear you, there's space all around the room. If you want to go down the back, you can go down the back. But I want to ask if you would take a moment with us in the room as a, almost as a accountability to some sense. But if you would bring yourself to a place where you will address yourself with God, remembering that it's not you that is going to change it. It's not you that is, is going to be the strength. You are asking Christ in you, the hope and glory. You are asking the risen Jesus, Lord, I want to be with you in this. I want to operate in you. I want to ask that you would take that moment now. If you want to grab somebody alongside you and ask if they'll pray with you, do that. But I want to ask if, if you would be real with God. And even if this is just the beginning, in, in the next week or two weeks, if you would continue to be real with God, to say, Lord, am I living as if you, the great hope of glory, is in me? Or have I forgotten how to do that? And Lord, would you show me? Would you show me how to allow your great glory to flow out of me and flow into the spheres around me?